Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Right. Well, let's dive in. If you are just joining us, we started several weeks ago in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in it all year long. I hope you're patient. Um, we're doing almost a verse by verse, couple verses every week. We're going deep into this wonderful book, six chapters long. Um, I just encourage you, dive in, read the whole thing. This year, just ask the Lord to speak to you, go deep into this book. Um, and journey with us as we uh, dive into this. We're taking a heavenly places perspective in this book. There's six, uh, five times in this book where Paul talks about the heavenly realms. And this is very challenging for us as Westerners. Now I'm going to push the envelope this morning with you. Um, I'm going to go into kind of some new territory I promise probably many of you have not even uh, uh, thought about, but it is critical uh, for us um, to dive into these things. And so we're going to kind of trust the Lord with his word to open up the heavenlies this morning. Uh, I'm going to throw a lot of, if you're visiting with us, um, hold on. And uh, I hope that you will take notes. You're going to want to take some notes. Uh, I've got a lot to say, so I don't have a bunch of the verses. I'll say them. We're going to come back to a lot of these themes um, in this book. But I'm going to just kind of roll through some very big picture stuff that we usually don't take enough time uh, to dive into. And it's all centered around the blood of Jesus. And folks, this question right here um, for us is, do we know the power of the blood of Jesus? I asked you this morning, do you know the power of the blood of Jesus in your life and in the world? It is the blood of Jesus that unites everything. It is in the process of uniting everything in heaven and earth together. It is the blood of Jesus and only the blood of Jesus that can redeem um, something back into the holy presence of God as an adequate, eternal thing. Um, scripture tells us life is in the blood. We're going to deal with this deeply. And there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And oftentimes we throw around in the church this idea, my sins are forgiven. We come to the table even without really deeply understanding what that represents, the blood of Christ. And why is that so important? Um, Today, sadly, we have decades now of very seeker-driven, very light-hearted presentations of the gospel. I want to be very bold here. Anytime the blood of Christ is not emphasized in the gospel, it is not a truthful gospel. I want to say it again. Anytime the gospel is presented to someone, salvation is presented to someone, and they don't understand the core of that, the blood of Jesus, it is a weak, um, possibly not even a full understanding of the gospel and so this morning I just want to throw that out to us do you understand your need for the forgiveness of your sins do you understand your great need to be forgiven the world doesn't most people we engage do not um, most people don't seek salvation. They just live life. It's about self at the center. What I can do in life, very self-focused. Most people um, do not think about salvation. Um, salvation, folks, from God, it's from heaven to this earth. It is not in response. God's not responding to something we do. Do you know that? 
It's out of the pure grace and mercy of what God has done and planned, as we saw last week, and we'll see in chapter 1. It is up to the church to represent this glorious, unbelievable work that God has done through Jesus by the shedding of his blood to bring heaven and earth together, to bring the glorious message of salvation, eternal life. Remember, life is in the blood. We'll come to talk about that this morning. Why that is so, so important. Um, and so, when we engage one another, it needs to always come back to the blood. And when we are talking to someone else, is the core thing we're called to do as a church, is to go after people's souls lovingly about, is there a covering? Is there a, a welling up of an understanding of our need, of their need to be forgiven by God? Um, you, we know that the Holy Spirit is working in our life and others' lives when there is this churning understanding or, or passion or, or just a, a anguish for being right with God, being, having their sins forgiven. If it is just the love of God, which we hear all the time, the love of God removed from the blood of Christ and the need for that forgiveness, again, is not a full gospel. In other words, just leading someone to faith because telling them over and over again, God loves you, he loves you, he loves you, without telling the price that was paid, without understanding that that is to motivate us to to come, right, and and, and realize that we have to repent of our sins and receive what he's done for us is not the gospel. That is, again, just building self up. As someone said, hey, I love me too. That's our culture we live in today, right? Right? And so we know the Spirit of God is at work when there's, and across history, from all across the church, we know that God is on the move when there is this awakening of our need to be right with God. How is that going to happen? Our need to be forgiven in in the precious blood of Christ. Why we celebrate communion is, is every week is to be overwhelmed in awe and wonder of what our God has done for us. And the larger picture we're going to read about is this uniting of heaven and earth right together. And folks, our role is to engage people to get people to that question. And we'll circle around to that again. And I just ask, where is that today? Where is there any discussion among Americans right today? I'd say even in the church, much let alone out somewhere else. Man, how can I I be clean and right before God? Where's... The forgiveness of, of my sins. What, what do I do with the shame I carry? What do I do with the guilt I carry? Um, it shows, I'm bringing it back on the church, a very weak gospel that we've embraced without the fullness and we've many times eroded the very core, the very power, the power of the gospel is the blood of Christ and what it's done to save us and to unite all things in God's great economy again, all together again, because God desires us to be with him. And the only way for that to ever happen was something had to, to, to happen with the blood, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It's because there's life in the blood, and we're going to dive in on that this morning. So let me pray for us before we get into the word. Father, thank you for your word and Lord Jesus for your blood, your precious blood that was shed, Lord. Lord, that is what is an offense to most of the world. But Lord, that is what your church is to uphold. 
that your people from the Old Testament all the way to the very end hold dearly and wonder in awe of what you have done, Jesus, in covering our sin, making us right, holy before you, infusing us with eternal life. Lord, open our eyes. Holy Spirit, fill this place. This is going to be some challenging stuff this morning. Lord, I pray that you'll give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying through your word and set us on a trajectory, Lord, as a church to, Lord, regain the fullness, the glory of your gospel, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter one, we're going to be looking at verses seven through 10 this morning, but let me read for us, starting in verse one, we'll go down to verse 10. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You are saints of the Most High God, set apart to be holy and blameless before Him. Do not forget that, church. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved in him, we have redemption through, the, through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. The word of God. Wow, okay. Lord, help us. Help me this morning. Um, just pull uh, your truth out of this. All right, let's dive in. What was the price of our redemption? And folks, I just ask you, where today is there anything that moving us to this incredible price most of what's happening, I'm just going to step back a little bit, what's happening in our country and the move of the church is moving away from the blood, moving away from the wrath of God, moving away from penal substitution, that's fancy language, meaning that Jesus had to pay a price for us to be in the presence of God and holy. It was God's love that also he's just and he must pay the rightful uh, price to redeem us, redemption to redeem us back into the kingdom of his son, out of the kingdom of darkness. And we've talked about it. Paul doesn't mess around. You go to chapter 2 of this. He says to the church, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. Before you were redeemed, you were a slave to this world and under the prince and the power of the air, under the power of the devil. The Bible doesn't mince any words. To lighten that message is to rob the gospel and the truth and the power of, of what it is. 
And it weakens our uh, and people's wrestle with their need, their great, incredible need to be redeemed out of this darkness. Otherwise, guess what? We leave them just, oh, nice and kind, just playing games and not realizing all along they are under a dark power, a darkness they can't even comprehend. And so Paul reminds the church, remember where you were before Your eyes were open until you laid hold by faith of the precious blood of Christ that redeemed you. It paid the price to set me free from slavery off the block in the marketplace, sold into this world into an eternity away from God and redeemed me back into the precious arms of Jesus with eternal life to be a child of God. Any gospel that does not clearly lay that out is a false gospel. That is what's happening at rapid rate in our country today, right? Is all we want to talk about is the love of God, and we never talk about how that love was poured out. Um, and so this has to be recovered. And you study any time God moved, um, uh, there was always a restoration of the gospel at the beginning of a renewal. And it was always a restoration of our need to repent, of our need to lay hold of this precious thing that God has done to redeem us and make us his own. Okay, let's dive in. Why didn't God send Jesus all the way back in Genesis? Why did Jesus have to die? See, the other thing that's happening is we don't really think about it too much because we don't preach it very much. Why did Jesus have to shed his blood? The message what we hear uh, oftentimes is is that, yeah, we have the forgiveness of sins of Jesus. We look at the cross as some great example of what he's done for us, but we never really get to the core of of what. Why did he have to do that? And we never really make an understanding of connecting the Old and the New Testament. Why, why was all this blood in the Old Testament? Where was that sacrificial system? Why was all of that needed? Now, folks, listen. I'm going to throw a couple things that I hope you'll take hold on to, dive deep into. Let God expand your heart with what he's doing in this world today. The big picture, right, is... He's uniting back again because God wants to be with us. He doesn't want heaven removed from earth. The heavenly places he wants united with earthly places. He wants us to dwell with him. Back to the garden, but even better than the garden. And the only way is the blood of Jesus to unite those things. And that happens individually with lives. It's going to be for this whole right creation. And we'll circle back to that again. But we go back to the garden. In the very beginning, to answer part of this, why didn't God just send Jesus? Why didn't he just in the very beginning send his son and make things right? Do we ever even think about this stuff? Do you ever think about the blood? Do you think about why all the blood? And here's the deal. Why we shy away from the blood and the sacrifice and everything is because that's the offense. That's what is offensive to people is to talk about that all that gore and that blood and, and you telling me I need to have blood shed for me? That's offensive. That's the offense of the cross that confounds the wisdom of man as Paul said, right? And, uh, and, and expounds God in his, in his vast wisdom. This is how he did this. This is how he carried out salvation in his glorious big plan. So let's go back and answer this question. Back in the garden... Is that in all through history, folks, God made the first sacrifice and he made the last sacrifice. He made this first sacrifice 
in Genesis chapter 3 when the fig leaves were not an adequate covering for Adam and Eve. And God took, it says, and he made animal skins for them, the first sacrifice that opens the door for the, to understand the entire Old Testament sacrificial system in the calling of Israel to be a people without understanding that you miss, we miss God's vast understanding and the importance of the blood. And we'll come back to the blood in just a minute. God made the last sacrifice, the first sacrifice unleashed Israel, unleashed um, a purpose. In other words, God knew in his vast knowledge, this mystery we just read about, that he was going to send his son before the foundation of the world to be the perfect sacrifice, the last sacrifice, so we could have eternal life, be redeemed into an eternal heaven where heaven and earth are all together on this renewed earth. And... um, And so again, this is why we see him with this first sacrifice. Now why, again, does God not send Jesus in the very beginning? And and here's the very simple answer to that, is because God realized among the Trinity that the only way, if he was going to create a people, right, that are going to live forever with him and be redeemed, is that blood, perfect blood, had to be shed. The Messiah, his son, willingly came and took on what? Flesh. And blood. And for that to happen, you've got to have a people. You have to have a nation. You have to have a line for God to send His Son, the Messiah, through, right? And to work out the rest of His covenant promises. Hence, why He calls Abraham. Why He develops one nation that He decides to choose to bring His law and His covenants to reveal His holiness, His purpose, His plan to this world. How else are we going to understand who God is? He chose one nation because He needed a people to bring the Messiah through and to be a light post of truth throughout history calling to the nations how we can be redeemed before God. And so the whole Old Testament, folks, is this sacrificial system. Remember, God wants to dwell with his people. How is he going to do that? How is a holy God going to exist among a, if you read the Old Testament, a very grumbling, sinful, continue to fall, right, um, into a self-focused life, a pagan life. And that's why we have all the law, the ceremonial, civil law, all the sacrifice, this incredible, elaborate priesthood, the temple, and all the barriers, right? And how God's fire could exist there was only when God's people, what? Shed blood. The blood is the only thing that covers sin. Um, And we'll talk about that in just a minute. And we see that Israel's story through this, we come to the New Testament and the law is to be a tutor. All of that sacrificial system is to open our eyes. It is to show us, right, to lead us to Messiah, to show us how we need, all right, some covering that this system is laborious, trying to work and slave and cover my sin. And, and, and this, we know, the shedding of, of the blood of uh, animals never forgives sin for, permanently. And that's Hebrews chapter 9. And so, Israel. Now I'm going to, we're going to throw a lot in here this morning. We're going to, why is Israel so important? Now we're going to make a connection to where we're at, what's going on in the Middle East right now. So God, as I said, in this thing, the reason didn't send Jesus all the way back is he needed a people to, for Jesus to be born in. He needed a nation to carry out his large salvific plan through. So why is it 
that when we stand for and pray that we support Israel. Why? Right down Deuteronomy 32. It's in Deuteronomy 32 when at the Tower of Babel, when the nations were um, separated, God chose one nation to be his, Israel. And in Deuteronomy 32, Israel is the apple of his eye. That never changes, folks. It's the apple of his eye. It is his, and if you hear this language, Zion, Zion is Jerusalem, but it is this picture of all God's fulfillment going to be in the future where he brings heaven to earth on Zion. Jesus, Zechariah 14, Jesus' feet will land on the Mount of Olives when he returns. The new heaven and earth is coming to, the new heaven is coming to this earth. It's called the new Jerusalem that will land right over the existing Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the epicenter of the world. And no one can refute that if you look at history ultimately and where things are going. Now when we say we support Israel, we're not saying politically we support everything they do as a nation. The reality is is that Israel is far from God. But you go to Romans 11 and we see there Paul lays it out. There's a future hope is that their disobedience opened the door for us, the Gentiles, to be grafted in. And God's vast, um, wonderful, and we'll get to this in chapter 2 of Ephesians actually, where the cross knocks down this barrier wall between the Jews and the Gentiles and brings one people, one holy people before God, the household of God. And he has a future hope for Israel who's going to be have in the midst of rebuilding the temple, in the midst of what's going on in the Middle East. There's going to be the restoration in the midst of all that and the world coming against Israel. And why is all around the world such anti-Semitism? Why the Holocaust? It should be a wake-up call to people to say, hey, something's going on here. And let me just say as bold as I can, you do not want to be on the other side of Israel. Just go through history. You best be on Israel's side. Bottom line, because that's God's side. That's the apple of his eye. But here's the deal, is that God, Hebrews chapter 12, is that God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines the children. Like a loving father disciplines his children. And all throughout history, God has used Israel's enemies to rebuff them. All throughout history. But in the midst of those nations rebuffing, because look at the, you come to the end. We just saw it all summer long. We were looking at it over and over again. God says, please repent. Jerusalem, northern kingdom, Judah, repent, or I will bring Babylon. I will bring the nations against you. I will bring judgment upon you if you don't repent. And he gave and he was patient. But you know the rest of the story. Nothing's different today in modern history. We could go through the Holocaust. We could go through many others, right? But what does God do in the midst of that? Again, what happens to the nations of the people who go against Israel? God will use them because remember, Romans 8, God uses everything, even evil, for his grand purpose. Right? You do not want to be working against God. So that's the big, the big picture. Now let me drill in a little bit further. What's going on now? If you go to, to Ezekiel 38 and 39, there's so much prophecy, folks. The, the New Testament tells us as the time gets, and book of Daniel, as the time gets closer, God will bring greater revelation to his people who are hungry who are in the word of God, who are asking God to give them revelation. And even Paul prays it. In chapter 1, we'll get to it. God, may you give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. God wants to reveal his mystery. He has put his prophecy here for his people to seek it and hear it and understand it, right? And, and lay hold of it. 
Um, but Ezekiel 38, 39 speaks of Gog and Magog. You can, it also connects in the book of, of, of Revelation. Folks, the more you get into this book, the more supernatural and amazing this book is. It fits together unbelievably. It will blow your mind. It should send you into worship and awe as you start to read it and see how God is moving clearly and connecting all these dots. And that's available for you. You don't have to be a seminary student. You don't have to be a theologian. You just have to be a saint. A lover of God and His Word. And to seek Him and let the Holy Spirit bring revelation right to you. But in Gog and Magog, it says in the end, right, the northern power will come upon it. Rally the nations against Israel. But it defines in chapter 38, Israel as a place of peace. No walls, no gates. And everything like this. Well, wait a minute. And again, I don't have time to go back and look at the supernatural work coming out of the Holocaust. What did God do? He used the Holocaust, right, of, of, to, of great severity. But what came out of that? 1948. The people, again, nothing, no nations ever had that kind of experience like Israel had. They've come, become a nation. 48. You had the Six-Day War, Yom Kippur War, many other things that were supernatural, unexplainable victories for Israel coming back into the land, right? And so... In the end, right, when things really start happening is it defines Israel as this place of great prosperity. Um, and also you connect here uh, the Babylon, the country that um, is going to be wealthy and, and, and prosperous and everything. And folks, uh, this prophecy says actually we're headed into a time of incredible prosperity if that's where we land. Unfortunately, that prosperity comes with a radical divide of the very wealthy and the not. And the ones who are fluent and the ones who are not. And we'll get into that another time. But my point is, is that when you hear things like Netanyahu said, the Middle East will not be the same after this war. You best perk up. And you best listen and say, whoa, okay, what's going on here? Right? This could be, we don't know. But at some point, a special peace and boundaries uh, needs to come to Israel for this 38 to happen. And for many other things, the building of the temple, that's a whole nother, right? Just, G- Israel's never gone back into the land through its entire history without rebuilding the temple, right? Now, how's that going to happen with the Dome of the Rock there and everything? And so I just lay that out to you is have your ears open, listen to what the Spirit of God is doing, is this is not some side, like freaky prophecy thing, this is the core of the gospel. This is the core of God carrying out things that he can unite everything together again in heaven and earth. This is the joy of the church. This is Maranatha. Come, Lord. Right? Come, Lord Jesus. Right? Return. Let's get it going. Right? And, uh, and, and pressing into this. Okay. Um, let's move on. Only God can give life, folks. Now, we're, I'm going, we're going <laughs> we're, we're to go a little deeper. All right? Only God can give life. Satan can only kill, steal, and destroy. That's John 10.10. 10. This is really, really important. And folks, something to hold on to. There's only one life giver. It's God. The enemy and the world is destroying life. Or getting prideful thinking we can control life, right? And the vast majority, and, and, and just listen to what I have to say with... And take it or heart. But the vast majority of all that we do, right, is the world under the world's powers, right? And so even this whole AI thing, artificial intelligence, 
right, is what is, what are, what's, what's, what's behind all that ultimately? Right? Be, be aware. Is there some cool things, good things? We have to be involved in science and everything? Absolutely. But boy, let me tell you, and this comes back to what he says, what we just read here is that in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. And so what I advocate to you is, hey, AI might really be cool, but guess what? The AI we have is almighty intelligence. Which one are you seeking? Which one are you putting your hope in? Are you getting serious about the prophetic word of God? And what God has to say, the wisdom of God to give his people an understanding of what is going on. Are you embracing almighty intelligence, his promise to bring his mystery, his understanding. Daniel says, as time increases, knowledge will increase, right? Um, And he gives his word to his people. He is a father who loves to bless his children like Daniel, who press into his presence and want to know him and what he's doing. And he will pour it out. He will pour it out. If not, what does Jesus give? Warning after warning after warning. Many will fall away. Because they'll be deceived by putting all their hope in what the world has to offer, right? In trying to solve problems rather than pressing, right? Ultimately into God. Um, So Satan can only kill, steal, and destroy. Satan is about destroying everything that God has created, Now just want that to settle before we get to this one. Life is in the blood. And only God can give it. And only God can redeem it. Satan from the beginning has tried to corrupt it. And so from the very beginning, Satan has been corrupting. His ultimate goal is to corrupt the blood. And to tear down life. To redefine life as God gives it. And folks, this moves us along this glorious uh, path of what God is doing again with his blood of redeeming his people. So let me take a deep dive, all right? Because this this idea of the life is in the blood, just throw out a few things, okay? We see this all the way. God made the first sacrifice in the Garden of Eden, and that unleashed the sacrificial system waiting waiting, longing for the coming Messiah that would be the final sacrifice. Jesus, right, comes the perfect sacrifice, sheds his blood, goes, it says, into the temple in heaven before God and once and for all covers our sin. Never again do we need to fear, do we need to have a problem with shame or guilt before God. It's by the blood of Christ. We stand. And that blood, when we receive it, is that it actually redeems us. Out of a place where we are destined away from God into a kingdom where Jesus, what does he promise? Eternal life. Eternal life. All right. Genesis 6. I'm going to take a little deep dive. And my gut is some of you have never heard this theology before. But uh, I I want to just lay this out to make understanding to think about the blood. And how important the blood is. And... um, Again, throughout history and especially, obviously, when it comes to salvation. Genesis chapter 6, what happens there? The world has become wicked, desperately wicked. And the angels, remember, what is Paul? We're saying we're taking a heavenly places perspective. So what I'm about to, to, to share with you is how we should read the Bible. Um, 
But again, this just shows we're Westerners and, and we have the way we've been taught and educated, we don't think with a naturally with a heavenly places perspective, we need to restore that desperately um, today. It impacts how we read scripture and understand things. Um, so there's a heavenly realm. Right? There's a God, He has a divine counsel, there are angels among angels, there are fallen angels. Um and back in Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 82, we'll get to this maybe next week when we talk about the counsel of his will. Um, but there, when God separated the nations, he put, it says Elohim, he put angel authorities over each nation. And in the course of time, those angels fell. And hence why the nations, you go to Psalm 2, rage against God. And those are the angels who've led nation after nation into corrupt things and all the ugly things we see in the world, right? It's spiritual. Any, any atrocities you've seen in the world, folks, that's not just man. That's not just our flesh. That's a result of evil forces influencing man, right? And uh, bringing that about in us. Does that make sense? And so this is just having that heavenly places perspective, Right? Um, that we have to uh, restore. So, back to Genesis 6 real quick. Is that, back when it was so ugly, it says that certain angels left their rightful role. They came down, they cohabitated with women. You can read the account. And out of that, there was a giant clan of people who had, listen carefully to me, corrupt blood. And they were called the Nephilim. This is where Goliath came from. And folks, the story behind the story, Goliath, David and Goliath, it's not just about some small guy beating up a big guy. Behind all this is a heavenly places perspective. God, the reason why God commanded Israel to wipe out, right, these clans is because they had corrupt blood. It was a product of Satan and his plan of trying to corrupt God's creation. And the David and Goliath story is a picture of just that, God in his redemption and his power, raising up Israel, raising up his people to what, bring about his justice against those uh, folks, right? Those, this evil clan that was created. And you say, that just sounds so crazy. Folks, this is exactly what Peter wrote about. It's exactly what Jude wrote about in the New Testament, Right? They also read from um, uh, uh, this, this theology that was a part of the theology of the Jews when Jesus showed up. Now where in the world, why as Westerns have we just missed this idea? It's because folks, we have been taught such a plane of materialism. We've watered things down so, and this is just part of the spiritual warfare. Again, Paul wants to remind the church, you battle not with flesh and blood. But with powers, principalities in this heavenly place, in this heavenly realm. And he's given understanding of what that is all about. Let me go a little further. Is that when these Nephilim, when they die, because it's corrupt blood, they are unredeemable. Now folks, listen, why are angels unredeemable? When angels fall, why are they not saved? Scripture tells us. Because they don't have blood. They don't have life blood. And it only takes the shedding of blood, right, to save sins. Why is it that in Acts 15, when the, the Gentiles came to the council of Jerusalem, I'm just trying to tie some dots, show you how this is unbelievable, how it all ties together. 
is that the Jews, right, the apostles told Paul and Barnabas, who took this gospel to the Gentiles, and, and basically told them, he says, man, they are free from the law. We don't need to put on them circumcision or anything else. It's just ha- make sure that they do not eat the meat with the blood in it and stay away from the blood. Why did they leave him with just that? Because the blood is powerful. And life is in the blood. And when Jesus redeems, when God creates it, he's the only one who can create, is that he infused. In other words, we have the DNA, right? We have all this technology, right? But where does life come from? Like, where does life come from? How did you just, boop, how did you get your personality? How did you get your, who you really are? Where did that come from? Right? It's not just your DNA. There's something supernatural there. It's God. He's the only one, right, who can bring life. He's the life giver, and he's the only one, right, who ultimately can um, redeem us, right? And it's by this precious blood of Jesus, right, that it takes, because life is in the blood. And when there's corrupt blood, when there's unholiness, there has to be a substitute for that life, an avenue, right, to bring us into a different life, right, something greater, all right, just another little thing um, to think about. And um, it tells us in Daniel, gosh, the prophets, and into Revelation, that in the end there will be this great Antichrist that rises up, right? And the world is going to say, wow, he's amazing, right? We'll have 10 nation alliance take place probably in somewhere in Europe. You've got Babylon, that's probably us, think on that one. Um, and you'll have Israel, right, in this place of safety. All of this converging, right, with, with God's final work, right, that's taking place. And uh, it says the Antichrist in the end is that he, and everybody's heard this before, right, is that he will force upon the world um, to take a mark upon themselves of 666. And anyone who takes that mark upon themselves, you have to, to eat, drink, or buy, it says, all these things. And it says, if you take that mark upon yourself, is that you are, at that point, you're sealed. You're unredeemable. Right? There's no redemption because it has something to do with the blood. And I just leave that for you to contemplate. The blood is precious. Right? Because Jesus shed his for us. And his saints are the ones who hold this body. Remember, First Corinthians says, it's been redeemed. It's been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. So honor God with your body. Not anybody else. Honor God with your body. Precious is the blood. Precious is the eternal life that he has poured out graciously. Right? Upon us. And, uh, okay, I think that's just introductory, right, to get us into a heavenly places mindset. We'll go deeper as we move through this book. But folks, you you might be sitting there going, what the? (laughs) Do you know this is how New Testament people, everything I just said to you was nothing new to them as far as the heavenly realm goes. This is biblical theology. You can't understand the Bible. You can't understand the gospel. You will not lay hold of the power in your life if you don't understand and operate from a heavenly place of perspective and understand the power of the blood. The power of the gospel is the power of the blood. If you rob the blood out of the gospel, you rob it of its power. And that leads me to my last thing. I think this is my last thing. When we apply the gospel or the blood in our life and in others' lives, we bring heaven and earth together. 
This is what's happening. As it says, his grand and glorious purpose is in the end to bring all heaven and earth together. And guess what he's left his church with? He's redeemed a people all around the world. The church is an outpost of the kingdom of God. It is the expression, should be the expression of the kingdom of God, the glory and grace of God, this vast and glorious, powerful working, this mystery of his will he talks about, right? To take the gospel out in love to people who are unredeemed and to share it with them. To apply the blood of the cross. So let me just get real practical with this. Is folks, how are you applying the gospel to your life? Now what I'm advocating is we're not getting breakthrough in many areas in our life because we don't really know what it is to apply the, go- to the, the gospel, which is apply the blood in our lives. And, um, and so this is what I would say. The church is called first and primarily when we deal with issues among each other, our goal primarily is to go right to the core issue in people's lives. Are you right with God? Is there a welling up of a need for the forgiveness of sins, for the blood of Christ to cover you, redeem you, and save you, and make you right with God? Is if you stay away from that core, let me tell you, you can talk, you can witness, you can share, you can counsel all day long on felt needs, all these other issues out here. And I'm telling you, oh, we'll get a little help for sure. But if we don't bring them to the ultimate, there is no healing, there's no ultimate movement forward until I come to a place of where I'm at before God. Now, folks, apply this, apply the gospel and the blood. I'll just, let's take marriage. If this is done, there's no need for, for uh, marriage counseling. Let's say, don't get me wrong, we've got to always be in marriage counseling. But my point is, is if husband and wife are rightly taken, the first, our, the church's role is to apply the gospel. It's not to linger out here. It is to bring the gospel to bear and to bring people to bear on the gospel. And if a person is not willing to go there and, no, I don't need that. I just want help out here. Is guess what? We have nothing to really offer them. We can talk. We can pray. And yes, we do that. We stay with them. But our role is to go to the core. This is what Jesus gives in his great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Apply the gospel to the problem. The solution, the power is there. But the power of the gospel is the blood. Is understanding the incredible thing our Lord has done for us in shedding his blood. Right? Which is the thing that covers us, that makes us right before God. And for anybody, any of us to get there. Right? I have to understand my need for the forgiveness of my sins. My need for God to cover me. Right? To cover me. Um, And I, I would just say for us as a church is this all this restoration of all that we need when it comes to the glory of what Christ has done for us and it should change how we address problems and where we how we talk to people we need to go to the core that's what he's called his church to and all the rest of this it should be from the inside out but i, I just know that man i know my own life I, we spend so much time out here talking about problems without getting to the real core solution. And folks, in our own life, and I just throw it out to us as we close this morning, is if I'm not willing to really address my sin, my shame, my guilt, my need for forgiveness before God, 
is then really all I'm left with is just myself. I just want God to fix areas in my life. And the reason I miss power in my life, the reason I I don't really get intimacy and all the blessings of God is because I just want God to handle this stuff out here. And I don't go to the core of, Lord, have I applied the gospel to my life and my desperate need for you to wash me and cleanse me and make me right before you? The application, right, of the gospel. And this is what we come and celebrate at the table. All right. That gets enough. Um, I hope that you'll take some of this stuff. I just threw a bunch of things. We're going to come back to many of those statements. Challenge you, go. Take those things I just said. Take it to the Word. Right? Leviticus, I'll just give you a couple so you can drill in. Leviticus 17. The life is in the blood. Leviticus 19. God commanded His people, do not eat meat. Do not honor the blood. And then ultimately we see in the New Testament, I already told you, it was, uh, Acts 15, we see this in the early church, honor the blood, right? But take that stuff, look at it, drill deep into it. And so Father, thank you for this morning, and Lord, uh, man, the mystery, the mystery, Lord, that you reveal to us, Lord, let us go deep, open our eyes and, of the power of what you've done, Lord, for us. The power of the blood, the necessity of the blood. And Lord, how that's such an offense to people today. Lord, please, Father, open eyes, even here this morning, God, that we may know that we're redeemed. We may know the power of the blood. And as a church, we may apply it, Lord, powerfully, lovingly, Lord, we we'll prepare our hearts as we come to the table I'm here this morning, God. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.